Today, we bring new meaning to high-speed photography on Behind the Shot. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel. As always, nice of you to join us. I've got a great guest today. A couple of house cleaning things before we get deep into this uh, image that we're going to discuss, which I have to admit was a, a jaw on the floor moment for me when my guest shared a particular thing about this image. So I think you're going to enjoy this. First of all, a quick reminder, I've got two contests going right now. One ends at the end of August and one ends at the end of July. If you're watching this later, I'm talking about 2019. The first one is with Red River Paper. You've got a shot at winning one of 10 Red River Paper sample packs. And one of those winners is actually going to win a custom 13 by 19 print of this photo here from Cheney or the July 4th episode of 2019. Uh, somebody's going to win that print as well. It's really easy to get into and to, to enter the contest, but let me kind of give you a summary. First of all, you got to follow Red River Paper and Behind the Shot TV on whatever social media you want to enter on. And then the official post for that July 4th episode with Cheney Orr, make sure that you comment on it and tag two of your friends. If you want details, you can go to the website. That contest goes through August 31st of 2019. Second contest is with the great Trey Ratcliffe. He was uh, on as well. And we've got a chance for you to win one six-week course called How to Build Real Influence. It's a course that he did on social media influencers or how to become and get more influential on social media. He did it with Lauren Bath out of us. I think she's out of Australia. And it's real easy to enter that one as well. You just need to go to Instagram. This one's Instagram only. And you're going to find the official post for the Trey Ratcliffe episode. Comment on that one as well on why you want this class. And uh, again, all the rules on any of the contests, just go to the website. It's behindtheshot.tv. And you'll, in the menu, click contest, choose the contest that you want. You can get all the details there. So good luck on the contests. And I want to get into my guest really quick today. So this photographer I found out about through a friend of mine. Uh, he was at an event. He was photographing the event. My friend happened to know who he was and immediately emailed me saying, you need to get this guy on the show. So I want to welcome David Dewhurst to the show. David, how are you? Good, Steve. Doing well. It is, it's nice to have you on the show because I'm also familiar with your work. Not only was my friend Kelly McGuire, but let's talk about you a little bit before we get into this shot, because this is actually, the photograph we're going to talk about today is a kind of photograph I've never had on the show, and I've kind of always wanted to, because partially I just never knew how they were done until I saw some of your behind-the-scenes stuff. So first of all, you are L.A.-based, but you're not from L.A. You're born in England, right? Yeah, correct. I live in L.A. and born in England, been here since 1980. Okay. When you describe the type, I, I've got notes in here that say what you shoot, and the way I did, was going to describe it was motor vehicles and motorsports. How do you describe your photography? Um, I Well, the funny one is planes, trains, and automobiles. I actually, okay, I shoot, the good, yeah, good. I shoot, I shoot cars primarily, motorcycles secondary, and I do a lot of aviation stuff as well. Um, I'm just a, a techno geek and love all those things. Interesting. Now, your clients, though, tend to mostly be grounded, right? They're not aviation clients. That's uh, correct. I'm curious. Do you know Moose Peterson? I know the name, but I don't know him. Yes, Moose is known. Him. He was recently on the show with one of his famous wildlife photos. But he also does amazing aviation photography, usually classic uh, military aircraft. It's amazing what it is. But the, your client list 
your client list is mostly stuff with wheels, right? So absolutely. Describe for me some of the the larger clients that you've worked with. Um, well, you know, from a from a financial standpoint, the largest ones have been Toyota, Lexus, Honda, and Acura, um, Hyundai, Mazda, and then on the motorcycle side, Honda, Yamaha, a bit of Suzuki. So those, those are the kinds, uh, mostly foreign and not domestic car people. And then I also saw you had BMW in there. Um, your outlets, though, were interesting to me because as, as a kid growing up, you've literally worked for the magazines that everybody who loves motor vehicles of any type had in front of them, Right. You've had been published in Car and Driver, Cycle World, Cycle. You even at one point kind of created your own magazine. So I am curious, a, a kid from England, where did your love of bikes and cars come from? Um, it's funny. We were talking about this just the other day with my mother because she doesn't know where it came from. My, my father was, uh, my father had an engineering firm, although he was on the financial side. So he wasn't really an engineer. Um, had no real interest in motorcycles at all, but he did he did uh, work as an airframe mechanic on Spitfires at the end of the war. So he was kind of a peripheral engineering kind of a guy. But there was uh, there was nothing really that deep in there that uh, pushed me into into the motorcycle thing. I uh, just one day when I was a very very young teenager just got the bug for motorcycles, which was how it started, um, and pretty soon. Well, about the same time, I got interested in photography. I had my own darkroom when I was about 13 in my bedroom. Um, See, that, that's really unusual. Yeah. You were getting paid for gigs. According to your buyer, you were getting paid for gigs at 15. Yeah. I, in fact, uh, when, I, yeah, when I was 15, I worked one summer for a, a, an industrial commercial photographer in my hometown. Just worked in the darkroom primarily, which uh, was was kind of interesting. And uh, yeah, so that I, I literally have been paid paid since I was about fifteen years old doing that. And then a lot of newspaper, motorcycle newspaper, weekly newspapers in England. I used to do a lot of race events, that kind of thing. See, um, that's that's the way to be a kid. I'm just going to say, you grew up though. And you actually did study photography. You went to the Blackpool College of Tech. And I'm curious because I mentioned the Red River Paper contest. And part of the reason I got involved with Red River Paper doing contests with them is because they have a an education program where they supply paper to universities and colleges around the U.S. to promote photography education. And, and I, I think that's fantastic. And one of the things, whenever I do those episodes, like the one I did with Cheney Orr, Whenever I do those episodes, I always am curious from the students that I'm interviewing, which is what I interview on those episodes, their impression of the state of photography education today. And and as somebody who came up with formal photography education and is a a real world, respected, working photographer today, I'm kind of curious. In today's modern tech world, do you do you think a formal photography education is still a, a bonus? Well, it depends from from what angle you you take. You're asking that question. I think from a from a um, a technology standpoint, perhaps yes, it might be it might be still good. But I think, to be honest, in this business, ninety percent of it is is connections, people you know, um, who you've worked for, 
Uh, you right. know, I, relationships. I know, yeah, in relationships. I know a lot of kids, a lot, well, a lot of people my age who who worked for some top photographers as their assistants, and now they're top photographers in the business too. But it was all you know, hands-on, practical, no college. So yeah. See, and and I I agree. And what's interesting to me though is I still always fall back on. When I got my first MCSE, I, my, my network certification, Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer, years and years ago, Windows NT4. I mean, we're talking way, way long ago. When I first got that, I taught myself. There, were, there was one particular required test that I had difficulty teaching myself on, and I, went and I took the course. And what I kind of realized in that environment, and I think it's the same with photography, is anytime you're teaching yourself something technical, you teach yourself what you know exists. And the beauty of really good instruction, even if it's just a photography workshop with somebody, right? The beauty of really good photography instruction is that instructor knows how to present you with things you may not find on your own, right? Yeah. Like the secret that you kind of told me about the photograph that we're going to talk to, about today. I would have literally never thought, and I don't want to share it yet, but I would have literally never even thought to do what you described to me. So let's let's get into the photo here because this is an interesting one. First of all, like every episode, we've got about 50% of the viewers slash listeners that uh, do audio and about 50% do video. It's still about a 50-50% split. Those that listen on audio tend to go to the website and look at the photograph first, and then they'll listen to it in their car. I did have somebody hit me up on social media on the Trey Ratcliffe episode and go, wow, this is amazing. I listened to the episode and forgot to look at the picture. So if that's the case, please go to the website, behindtheshot.tv, and check out the photo before or during or whatever you're going to listen to it. So let me try and describe this image to people first. This is two Lexus RCFs. Not the normal RCF Sport. This is the RCF, which has the scoop. And I know this car quite well, actually. These are 2015 Lexus RCFs. They are on a track of some sort or a road. And they're coming at the camera, which, by the way, let me just say this up front as I'm describing these. Your choice of angle with these two cars is nothing shy of brilliant. I'll get short into that in a minute. They're both kind of coming at you and turning from camera left to camera right, clearly at speed because the rims are blurred, the sky, the trees, the road are blurred. There's so much motion, and, and I want to go a step farther, there's so much energy in this shot. The sky is, is cloudy and dark, and, and one of the things I really love is if you look at the front car, which is orangish, the white car is reflecting perfectly crisp and clear. I mean, you can zoom in and see the low in the in the front car with everything else blurry. The cars are just tacked. So let's start there. OK. And by the way, the road has this nice dark spot in the lower left corner. There's just so much energy here. So let's start here. What was this photograph taken at as far as exposure? Uh, that one was around a one second. A one second exposure. There were multiple, we took multiples varying from half a second up to three or four seconds. So, and then what was the, the rest of the exposure? Would you have been, would you have been, you know, mid area on aperture? 
No, no, it was, I think, 100 ISO, just native Canon. It was shot with a, a Canon. Um, which, which Canon? Uh, a, one, a 1D. Okay. And do you know what lens you used? It was a, a wide angle. I've since moved over to Sony. So I'm trying to remember the actual focal length, but it was like 16 millimeters, something okay. like that. And I looked up actually the EXIF data. And I, I sometimes when a photo goes through Photoshop or multiple edits, sometimes that gets screwy, uh, especially if there's any compositing involved. The EXIF data shows this at 21 millimeters with a 16 to 35 2.8. Yeah. Yeah. It also showed it at F11. Does that sound about right? Probably. We're using a, 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 an ND filter, probably a four-stop ND filter. Really? Um, just to get the, but because, you know, those, that kind of a exposure level, uh, exposure time, we're running into pretty, uh, pretty small apertures. So we don't like to get that far. So we, you know, use ND filters, sometimes use a, um, um, well, mainly ND filters. I don't like to use polarizers. Much. That's a, that's an interesting one. So you put an ND filter on. Well, and the polarizer, the way you're moving around, it, the, the angle of the polarizer may not stay right. Well, and you can get artifacts. Problem that, the problem with polarizers with cars is that it, it alters the sheet metal as much as it does often the oh. windows. So you get kind of this, you tend to get this weird flat look to some of the paint sometimes when you use... Interesting. Interesting. So, okay. So there. based on this exposure and the fact you had a four stop ND filter on there, what time of day do you think this would have been? Uh, I know. Well, it was late, late in the day. Um, very late. It was the very last shot we did. And in fact, the dark sky is almost 100% as it came out of the camera. It was very overcast. It was actually starting to rain. If you look carefully on some, I think on some of the later exposures, you can actually see raindrops on the car because oh. we were just frantically rushing to try and get this before the heavens. Where up. was this? Uh, it was. It's a place called Monticello up in uh, New York, up in New York State. Uh, it's a it's a private racetrack, and uh, we we were yeah we were doing that. Pure everything that we did at that job was either shot on the racetrack or on a couple of roads immediately around. It, that, okay, fascinating. Again, the ND filter is interesting to me because when you go back to the fact that this was, you know, a second or 1.3 seconds or whatever it was at F11, that would gen tend to tell you that you needed some light to get this beautiful exposure. We'll get into why that happened. Clearly, this was on a cloudy day. So with it being cloudy and near the end of the day with it started where it started raining, did you, is this all natural light? Did you add light? No, it's all all natural light. Totally, yeah, totally natural light. Nothing artificial. Were you aware we of where that, I mean, with the clouds, it was probably really diffused. But assuming there's still some, some, you know, uh, extended brightness, stronger brightness from the, the point of the sun, were you aware of what corner you were choosing to try and have the sun angle in the right spot? Um. Well, yeah, actually, this was, and I, I think you have some of the other images that I sent you from some of the other pictures. Um, this was the very last shot, and it was a, it was a just, hey, let's just quickly try this before the heavens open shot. We, was, we were shooting one specific shot with a different car and a different color in a different corner um, when it started to go, the weather started to go south in a hurry. 
So we were doing this other shot, and then we said, quickly, let's, let's do, this is such a cool idea, let's try and do it. So we threw all the equipment on, which we'll talk about in a minute, and went to this other shot. There was no, there was no decision about, should we do it here? Should we, it was the case of, we got to do it here right now because it's going to rain. It's a time crunch, right? It was a total time crunch. One thing, as soon as I looked at this, you'll notice I brought up early the reflection of the white car and the orange car, right? Which... I don't know if that was intentional, but my gosh, does it really add to the image in a way? It it, it breaks up. I don't even know how to word it. It it kind of adds three dimension to the car because you see the white car effectively in two different locations, right? But now you've got a sky above you with clouds and there's no cloud reflections to speak of in the windows. Like on that white front windshield, there's no cloud reflection in there. Were you aware of that at the time? No, as I said, it was total panic. It's like, let's just run and gun and get this thing done quickly. So, no, I mean, some a lot of what we ended up seeing was we didn't really see while we were shooting it. I mean, we knew what we were getting. We knew what it, we were trying to get. Um, but, no, a lot of those details just kind of straight over my head. And, and so we're going to talk about this in a second, actually. <laughs> I want to get into the fact of what this was shot for. But I am curious, the reflection of the white car and the orange car, the reflection possible of the clouds, which yeah. I'm glad that they didn't show in there because that clean front windshield really kind of adds to the power of the vehicle and yeah. doesn't distract yeah. you. What is, whether you're inside or outside, what's the hardest part of shooting a car? Um, well, the reflection, as you say, cars are, there are two things about shooting cars that are really hard. One is they're a giant chrome ball. They reflect <laughs> right everything they just absolutely anything and everything reflects in them so you it, you've got to be extremely careful where you are how the car's positioned what's around the car um the other thing shooting cars is just the sheer scale of them they're they're huge things that's what makes it pretty unique and a lot of photographers that don't shoot cars don't don't get the the concept of just how big and how huge everything ends up being. So this, you know, just these two cars alone, they're 15 feet long, you know, just the two cars in length of 30 feet where, you know, we're dealing with a, a piece of racetrack that's, you know, 40 feet wide um, and a lot of equipment as you'll see in a minute. But right. uh, yeah, so it, it, the scale of it is, is the other thing that's really. So in the green room, before we started recording, you made a comment to me that was interesting. And you said, a lot of people don't understand that, you know, I'm not, I'm shooting for editorial use, right? Who was this shot for? This was shot for Lexus International, which is based in Tokyo, which is Lexus's uh, Lexus division that deals with all of their clients all around the world. So it's a, the PR department that deals with worldwide PR for the company. And this shot, I've got it up right now, the magazine, this was in, it, it, actually, I'm guessing this wasn't the magazine so much as it was a Lexus brochure. This was, a, yes, it ended up, the, the ad agency uh, ended up taking the, uh, taking the picture and using it as a center spread in that year's, the 2015 brochure. For and I love the title of the article, The Balance of Power. There's yeah. something I noticed in here. I'm really weird about this. I apologize, but I zoomed in on everything, right? And in the bottom right corner, it actually mentions, because it's a Lexus marketing material thing, they specifically mention the colors of the car, right? The manufacturer color names of the car, which got me into, you know, kind of a another thought. How important is it that your photo 
very dead on accurately matches the color that Lexus, you know, if somebody chooses a Pantone color for their logo and you're reproducing their logo or a, a you know, well-known soda can, it's got to be dead on accurate, right? Yeah, yeah, that's been less of a, an issue as we've done this. With that particular ride, I know they did change the color of the car a little bit just to get it as dead close as they could. From the edit, from a normal editorial and PR point of view, it's less of a less of an issue. Yeah. How do you get, if you do need on your end, as a cinematographer, as it were, director of photography, how do you get accurate color? It's very well. It's it's hugely difficult. I mean, I suppose I suppose really I should preface it by saying, is it a hundred percent in post or are you using color you know passport color checkers or something? No, no. We we obviously color balance. Try to do color balance on location when we're, whenever we're shooting, get as close as we can. The problem is, you know, ninety five ninety percent of what we shoot is actually on location. So a lot of the time you're dealing with a car which is reflecting a blue sky here or a an orange sunset sky over there or whatever it may be. There are a lot of different colors hitting the car from a hundred different angles. So it's really difficult to get a consistent color all over the car. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. So now let's get into this shot a little bit, right? You sent me some behind the scenes shots I want to talk about. And so first again, let me, let me just, for those of you looking on video, this is the original shot, right? This beautiful, screaming fast blurred shot of two perfectly tacked gorgeous Lexus cars some of my favorite cars actually and I just want to talk about this behind the scenes so the first behind the scenes for again for those on audio it's the same picture but but this one has the pole in it that had been taken out so there is a large boom mounted to the front car's front windshield coming off and it's almost like a NASA shot in a way right You don't see the camera, but the camera taking the picture with the boom still in there, you see the whole boom, right? I find that absolutely fascinating, the way that that was done. And here's a close-up of basically the same thing with the the mount system mounted on that front windshield. And you even sent me one. This one is not related. It's the same car, but this is a totally different camera mount. And this one intrigued me. This is an SLR mounted to the hood of a car and it has it took me a second to figure out what the second support is one support off the window goes to the camera the top of the camera and is actually mounted to the hot shoe the camera is suction cupped to the hood and then there was this weird side mount angled pole coming up and i had to zoom in because i'm thinking is that doing a pole focus for video and i zoomed in and no it's a cross support for that first long bar to just give it extra support when you're shooting something like this, where do you find these things? Did you have to make these? Some of it we make. Some of it you can, yeah, a lot of it you can buy. A lot of it's, you know, the modern modern studio equipment in Los Angeles, if anybody is looking for this stuff, makes a lot of this stuff and a great place to go to. Um, but yeah, suction cups, you off the shelf basically. But I have fifteen of them, so we have do a they, lot of them. Do uh, apparently they hold, but, <laughs> but oh, do they, they, they damage the car you're putting them on? Uh, they can if you don't clean the car before you put it on. If you put it on a dirty car that has dust on it, yeah, it'll leave marks. So we you know we do clean them very carefully, and uh, that that seems to be not really an issue. So, okay, so. 
one, what, yeah, one big suction cup. That's I think on that one we were only using a six inch, but we have ten inch and twelve inch cups, bigger, even bigger ones. Um, and then the two separate bars that you you point out, they're just triangulating, just like using a tripod. You're gonna you've got to stop it rocking and rolling around. So those upper two bars just give it the the third legs. Okay, so this is this a question popped into my head, and and there's people out there going to go, Steve, really, but I have to ask, if the car is really well waxed, does is that cause a problem with the suction cup? Oh no, no, those the suction cups, you could almost pull the hood off the car if you okay, really want. Okay, all right, yeah they're, yeah, they're extremely strong. So yeah. now let's talk about this shot. <laughs> You've got this boom pole with a camera hanging off, <laughs> and I'm showing the normal shot now, the finished product yeah. shot, right? And we'll get into how you clone that out when we get into post-processing. Remind me to talk about that. But so looking at this picture, these cars look like they're moving at 45 miles an hour. The camera was on the boom and you were somewhere with a remote as they drove by at 45 miles an hour going click, click, click. Okay, go back around type thing. How did you shoot this? This is amazing. Yeah, well, well first understand that the pole is... Um, a special, it's 25 feet long, carbon fiber. We, we used to have a, we made our own aluminum triangular one that was quite good, but too long, uh, well, too short and too heavy. So we, we now have this 25 foot carbon fiber pole, which is held to the roof by the two suction cups that you can see. One is, kind of, I think, is on the roof itself. One is on the windshield with two, again, two vertical arms to support it. There's a third 10-inch, much bigger uh, uh, suction cup on the back of the car, on the roof of the car, way back almost to the rear window. So this pole extends from actually slightly behind the rear window, you know, 20 feet. Okay, I see that now. See, I, I only saw noticed the two on the windshield. Yeah. But yeah. now so in between them, you can see the pole going yeah. back farther. Yeah, and in fact, what we also do just, you know, for, for safety sometimes is run us another cable from the back end of that down to the rear of the trunk lid or something to just in case anything moves and the suction cup gives way to stop the thing flopping onto the ground. So it, it's, it's held pretty securely. Then on top of that, much like a, a sailboat's uh, mast, you, you can't really see it very clearly here, but there is a thin wire runs from the front to the back of this pole. So from the camera end all the way to the back of the car, there's a thin wire with a, a short three foot tall mast in the middle. So we triangulate, we triangulate the wire up in the middle to give some support and rigidity to the pole. Okay. So that, that's how we, that's how we make sure it stays pretty much in place. The camera then is, suspended by a short three-eighths metal bar from the front of the, it's, we use a super clamp on the front of the pole. The bar hangs down, the camera suspended upside down. It's, uh, you know, so it flipped upside down looking right. at the car. Um, and then it's, the camera's fired remotely. We always shoot a picture before we ever move the car with the car in position stationary. So we know we have, for sure, a sharp image of the front of the car. No motion blurring, no weird stuff going on. So we have a sharp, you know, effective tripod image of the front of the car. 
and then we go into shooting the actual picture where the car is moving. Sometimes, depending on what's happening, the camera can move enough that the car becomes slightly blurred. And then, depending on whether you want it that way or not, you can you can always substitute the uh, the original static shot for the front of the car. This one's a little different in the, and it's unusual in the, and you don't see this very often. There are two cars in the same image, right? Which you know, made it unique. We'd already just shot two other cars on their own, similar kind, similar in, image, similar angle, but it was only one car, and there it becomes a lot easier. So the so- second car complicates it a lot. Tell me about the speed. Well, it wasn't 40 miles an hour. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> because, because I cannot run that fast. Um, no, in fact, it's uh, it's probably about two miles an hour, if that. Yes. So the car is literally moving at a snail's pace. And I'm stood with the camera, walking backwards as fast as I can with a cable release. So I'm just shooting this picture you know, second, two second, whatever the exposure is, it, it, at that speed, you know, there's a lot of blur going on. And often we end up finding that we actually get too much blur and it looks kind of crazy. So, you know, the second in this situation worked, worked really well. You're walking with the cars. I'm walking backwards with the cars. Yeah. I and, just, yeah, that's, when yeah. you sent that to me in an email, I'm like, oh my God. God, I cannot wait for this episode. That is so amazing. I okay, so let's let's again, I gotta bring up the full shot. He's walking backwards with the cars, doing a manual cabled release to the camera. That is just absolutely amazing. I love that. Do you ever add, if need be, would you add artificial light? With a not, we don't normally with the motion with a motion rig like this. No, but with a static car, a car sitting oh, or parked, you do. Oh yeah, if, yeah, yeah, absolutely, all the time, a lot of that. Yes. What's the key to because that's a, a, a hands down reflection moment, right? What is yeah. the key if you're adding light to a car? What's the key to avoiding reflection of the light itself? Um. Well, the the big the big thing is to find the angle where you're, you're hiding the light in a crease, a crease of the vehicle. All cars have hard edges and creases. There's always somewhere you can move to the point where it is hidden. Usually when you're shooting a car with added light, you're using multiple lights or multiple exposures that you combine together. Okay. Yeah, so it's almost impossible to just, just shoot a single frame with a single light and get the whole car. You need some plates that you can possibly, plate shots that you can possibly use to substitute for for where that light fixture was. Okay, so that brings me to the composition on this shot, right? The composition on this shot is literally, this is my youth in front of me. This is me looking through a car, and I've never been a crazy, you know, car guy that rips my own engines apart, but I've always loved, like most people, I've I've loved the yeah. beauty of a, of a car, right? A, a pretty car. The composition on this image is is really honestly nothing short of just phenomenal. The fact that the camera is low, not high, right? Shooting a little bit up. It's really kind of mid-car, but it gives that effect because the, the, also there's a slight Dutch angle to the shot where the cars are rolling down out of frame, which by the way, if you're going to do a Dutch angle, don't do a Dutch angle that makes no sense. Like to me, one of my pet peeves, 
I suppose I've even done it before, but, and on occasion it can work, but a Dutch angle on a drummer, I'm sorry, the drum set would slide off the stage, right? If you're going to do a Dutch angle, have it make sense. And in this case, it reinforces that the cars are moving forward because it's down. I'm gathering by your nodding head that that was intentional. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we've got that. We've got the slight dark scene in the lower left corner, matching the slight darkness of the clouds the almost surreal abstract effect of the clouds and the trees together. When you shoot a shot like this, are the Lexus people standing over your shoulder? No, no, we're very fortunate. And that's one of the differences between doing PR and public relations stuff and, and advertising stuff. Apart from the size of the budget, the big difference is that we don't have a lot of people from the agency and a lot of people from the client all stood around giving their opinion. So right. we have a lot of freedom to, to kind of do it. And, you know, a, a lot of it, as we say, is just shot from the hip, just done right. And, you know, just to that, that moment and nothing's uh, not a lot of things are planned in, in great detail because we, we don't have the time and the luxury of, uh, of doing all that stuff. And I'm assuming, you know, that a shot like this is going to require post-production no matter what. Yeah. So what's your basic workflow for post? What software do you use? How do you color correct? It's uh, pretty simple. It's just straight into Lightroom. Um, everything does, the vast majority of what I do is in Lightroom. All the color correction, all that, all that stuff is done there. Um, then we just drop it straight into Photoshop. Really, the Photoshop these days, I, I only use to do compositing really and then some grading some color grading but uh, by the time it's in photoshop it's usually just kind of taking all the well and the other thing with car photography is too because it has so many they have so many stupid dumb reflections all the time no matter how good you are um it's you you end up spending way too much time just getting rid of crazy reflections patching and cloning and just little stupid things which make a huge difference so yeah but we do a lot of that in Lightroom, you say you do most of your, your color corrections in Lightroom. Are you using the HSL sliders for saturation, luminance, that you know, tint, that type of thing? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we use um, the, the, uh, the um, camera profile, oh. make some difference to I go back in there. And then um, I'm trying to remember the actual name of it, but right down the bottom, there's the, the, the color saturations in the the very bottom. Oh, the uh, color calibration where you also choose the, the, the processing we, engine, same tab. Which I use quite a bit. You can get a lot more saturation there without getting weird artifacts. It, really? It, that's what I found. I mean, you know, I'd love to know how everybody else works with that. Okay, now I, I'm going to be playing with that one. I, so, I found I can get more more saturation without just kind of getting over the, over the top with all kinds of weirdness. So. That's interesting. So... You said this was the last shot of the day. So I'm curious, you're out doing a shoot for Lexus on a track. Your goal is to get one really amazing shot, right? Well, no, the, no, the goal is actually to get a lot of amazing shots because I was just looking back at the file. We were, this whole job, it was a launch. It was a launch for the car and they, they invite journalists from all over the world to come and drive it. The event actually lasted two and a half weeks. We were so we were at this track on and off for for two and a half weeks. I actually, it sounds crazy. Raw image total, raw images for the whole job is eleven thousand images. I'm sorry, what? Eleven thousand. It was ten thousand over two days. 
No, no, this is over two, no, two and a half weeks. Two we and a half there. weeks. Okay. Two and a half weeks. So it was just shy of 11,000 images. Um, the final images that we presented that went into the press kit. So these images are given to journalists in the press kit. So there were 70 images in the press kit just of the RCF. There were 85 images of the RCF sport and a further 80 some images of the third car too. So, you know, we're producing wow. huge volumes of, right. of information. And that doesn't include a lot of the stuff we do. So, you know, if the journalists, for instance, you know, journalists come in from China, they love to see themselves driving the cars for their magazines. They love to be in the picture. So we end up shooting hundreds and hundreds of images just of those particular guys driving the car. So it's a, it's a huge volume kind of a deal. Wow. It's not just trying to get one image done. Okay. So somebody wants to try, they, they see the show, they see your work. They're like, oh man, I love vehicles. You know, I, I work on all my own cars. I'm a huge car and motors. How does somebody get into this? Or, or I guess a better way to do it is in today's day and age, because you've been in it for a while, do you have any tips on breaking into this field? Well, it seems today that everybody's breaking into this. I mean, it, it's it's become the the hip thing to be a car photographer, and uh, so there it it's become a very very competitive sport. Pricing, you know, pricing has gone through the floor, unfortunately, because of just the num sheer numbers. Um, as far as how do you do it, I think. I really think to do it well, you have to have a serious understanding of the cars. I mean, you know, the the way the car looks in a corner, the way it, ref it you've got to look at it mechanically and photographically. So, you know, you have to look at it, look at it, all these reflections. You have to understand the sheer scale of it. It's not like you can just go and take some model down to the, you know, to the pier and grab a couple of reflectors and fire a strobe at it. It's not, you know, it's not right. that easy. It's a, it's a big scale kind of proposition. So you have to, a friend of mine actually started doing it with model cars, shooting model cars in his oh. in his studio and his you know and just using small scale and just to get used to the whole notion of how you light a car. There's portrait photographers that use mannequin heads, which is basically the same yeah. concept, right? Take something that has the shape and yeah. not necessarily the reflection. Although if you can re recreate that, that'd be great. If you're in a studio shooting a car, and I've seen some of your behind the scenes on that too, but if you're in a studio shooting a car, do you have a uh, a set kind of exposure you like to go for? No, it it depends. In the studio, we tend to use hot lights. We don't use strobe um, because we we use what what they call a flying flat, which is just a giant canvas stretched across a metal frame. They're usually thirty to fifty feet long and fifteen to thirty feet wide, depending on where you are. So it's a huge canvas that you can move it it hangs and so we we tend to use individual tungsten lighting to paint areas of the car by reflection so we're not just lighting just some giant single big space and depending on how you know how you're trying to make this car how sexy you're trying to make it sometimes we're into pretty damn long exposures in the studio you know in 
30, 40 seconds or whatever it is. Some, sometimes, depending, depending on what it is you're really trying to get to. Um, but typically, it's usually, we're usually shooting in the, you know, low second range. It's, uh, you know, mid, mid F stops, so 8, 11, 16. Are you using light meter, in camera meter, and, and do you manual focus or autofocus? Uh, always manual focus. Um, there, and then we, it de- again, depends on, on the car. A lot of time I like to try and throw the car, you know, no depth of field, try to get some, some out of focus thing happening. So we try to try to go pretty large apertures if we can. Um, depending on the car, so you know, we, but we definitely manual focus, light meter sometimes, but most of the time we're shooting tethered, so we're just going straight into the laptop or the right. Mac or whatever, and just going right off the histogram. So in and, some uh, ways, though, it's kind of like focus stacking, where you'll shoot it in aperture and you won't get the whole car in focus, but you take multiple and put them together. If that's yeah, if that's what we're going for, as I said, I like to have this kind of going out of focus thing. So we're not focus stacking. We're we're doing the opposite. We're trying to trying to make it look out of focus. But uh, yeah, we we do a lot of exposure stacking. is is almost more okay. important than focus stacking. You know, because cars again, these bright highlights, bits of chrome, headlights. You know, there's a lot of exposure variation. It's, it's a photography that. nightmare in many ways. I I cannot say enough. Not just this shot. But David, your work is absolutely amazing. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for being on the show. And by the way, just to remind everybody, uh, David's images, I'll have a small gallery. Some of the behind the scenes stuff that I, I've showed in the video, if you're listening to the audio version, make sure that you run by the website. You can see the shot we're talking about. You'll be able to see all the behind the scenes stuff that we're talking about. So again, David, thanks for joining me, man. Appreciate it. It was fun. Thanks a lot, Steve. If you want to find more of David's work, here's where you can follow him. Full portfolio is dohurstphoto.com. On Facebook, he's dohurstphoto. On Twitter, dohurstphoto. And Instagram, David Dohurst. So go check him out. All the links are popping up on the video below him as we're doing the show. But you can also find those in the blog post. There is a blog post associated with this episode. It'll have info on David, links, gallery, all of that type of stuff. So again, to my guest, David Dewhurst, thanks so much for joining me. A couple things before we close. Keep in mind, two contests running right now. The Red River Paper Contest, that goes to the end of August. And then we've got the uh, contest with Trey Ratcliffe on uh, building influence. And that one goes only to the end of July, which means when this episode airs, you're going to have a week or so, something to that effect, to get in on it. You can find all the details on those also at the website, behindtheshot.tv. Thanks again to my guest. I'm Steve Brazel. This is Behind the Shot the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots. We'll see you on the next show. 